Hi, everybody. This is Jimmy DeYoung. I'm going to ask you for 90 minutes. If you'll give it to me, I'm going to give you the world. And I literally mean the world. We're going to go around the world with our broadcast partners finding out what's going on, where they may be located as it relates to current events that fit into the prophetic scenario that's found in Bible prophecy. We're going to talk to guys that are going to help us understand what's happening. Colonel Bob McGinnis, he's at the Pentagon. We're going to talk about North Korea and what is happening as it relates to the threat of North Korea. How's that all going to play out? We'll get the idea from Colonel McGinnis, who works on strategy in the military there at the Pentagon. And Don DeYoung is standing by. The largest dinosaur ever found was found down in Argentina. Going to ask him about that. And there's a special date coming up, August the 21st, in the heavenlies, an unbelievable eclipse. We'll find out more about that and how, it, if it does, play into Bible prophecy. But let's go right now to Ken Timmerman in Sweden. You know, I'm amazed, Ken. I find you in Sweden. That's a great vantage point to help us understand what's happening in this world. And let's uh, let's jump off our conversation with North Korea. Our president coming out strong rhetoric, telling the man who leads North Korea, you mess around with that nuclear weapon that you supposedly have, we're going to deal with it. What about that strong rhetoric? How do you think that's developing? Well, I think the president, frankly, is right. It's about time that the leader of the free world put the North Korean midget on notice uh, <laughs> that he can't get away with this kind of threat to us and to our partners. A North Korean nuclear weapon or a couple of them over the United States with an EMP warhead would knock out the electric power in the entire North American continent, would take the United States back to the 1880s and kill millions of people over a matter of months. We cannot allow that kind of thing to happen, and it's important for the President of the United States to bring the North Korean leader back reality, which I believe is what Donald Trump has done. You know, I think there's a very interesting connection with what's happening as it relates to North Korea, because Iran at the same time is watching what is playing out there between the United States and North Korea and the threat from North Korea. And I think the Iranian leaders are saying, look, if the United States gives in to North Korea, then are they going to stand up and be strong against us? And I think there's a real connection there prophetically. We'll talk more about that a bit later on in the broadcast. Well, talk to me about Russia. Uh, Russia has moved a military force and now building a military base some five miles north of the Israeli border there in the Golden Heights on the Syrian side. Boy, that's a move that everybody better be paying attention to. It is, Jimmy, and we're told that the Russians are moving into Konetra and the Golan Heights at the request of the Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, who had expressed grave concerns that the Syrian government was going to be moving its troops into this demilitarized area that is a buffer zone between Syria and Israel and has been that way since the 1973 war. So... You know, the irony here is that Russia <laughs> is moving into this area. Nobody really knows what the Russian intention is, but this said, the Russians have had 
a good relationship with Israel. Putin and Netanyahu regularly meet and discuss. They go back, you know, Netanyahu has gone repeatedly to Moscow to hold pretty private consultations with Putin. So uh, it, it's, a, it's one of those bizarre things that happens that uh, you know, throws alliances in this region completely up in the air. Well, uh, politics makes strange bedfellows, they say, and that's probably evident there. But at the same time, there's another Israeli leader, a potential prime minister down the line. He's the Minister of Education, Minister Bennett, who has put out a report. He said, we've been blinded by the threat of Islamic State and ignored Iran. Well, Iran's going to join in there in Russia at Israel's northern border, five miles away. Uh, We need to pay attention to what Iran's doing. Islamic State probably is not the number one target as far as Israel and other Middle Eastern nations, are they? Well, well, that's right. And, and, And again, you have this kind of upset of alliances and this confusion in alliances uh, it's unclear who's with who and who's on which side these days and and in the fight against isis you have these strange bedfellows as you have you have syria iran and russia on one side and gosh now it appears the united states is aligning itself at least in a certain extent and let's be careful about this because it, it really is only in a certain extent but with that alliance against ISIS, we must be careful, and Naftali Bennett is absolutely correct about this, that in our determination to eradicate ISIS, that we do not embolden Iran, embolden Russia. This is one of the problems with Henry McMaster, who's the national security advisor to President Trump this day, I should say the embattled national security advisor. He is seen as uh, someone who is uh, very much... Uh, engaged in the fight against ISIS, but pro-Islamic Iran, pro-Syria, uh, and not as worried about Russia as the way some others are. So uh, he seems to be the one behind this new alliance, and who also has agreed to send U.S. troops to Lebanon, where they will be fighting side-by-side with Hezbollah. Yeah, McMaster, some strange bedfellow, and I was going to bring up what you just mentioned to us, here in the United States. That seems to be a biblical Gog-Magog description, Ezekiel chapter 38, with all the players without the United States. Now, since the Prime Minister of Lebanon was in to visit at the White House with President Trump, President Trump, I guess from his advisors, decided to help train some of the Lebanese soldiers. But uh, really, Hezbollah controls Lebanon, so that makes the United States a part of that whole coalition. It's crazy, isn't it? It is, and, and your description is absolutely correct. The uh, Hezbollah is part of the ruling co- coalition in Lebanon today. So if we're going to be sending troops to Lebanon to help train the Lebanese army, we are going to be, in one way or another, helping Hezbollah to expand their military training as well. This does really, I mean, it, it, it is so bizarre uh, as a development. You would never have expected this under President Trump. You would have expected that Obama would be helping Iran, but not President Trump. And this is where McMaster seems to be playing a truly, uh, uh, I mean, I, I hesitate to use the, the term satanic, but certainly using playing a role which is not in America's long-term interest. I don't believe he has the president's interest at heart. I don't see where McMaster, the national security advisor, is aligned with President Trump uh, in his views. And it's truly amazing to me that the president would allow him to continue to pursue policies inimical 
to the president's interests and to U.S. national interests. Well, and Israeli leaders are watching McMaster's very closely as well and seeing how that's going to develop. Ken, I sent you a copy of a speech recently made, an article written by Henry Kissinger. Boy, that guy's old, but he's still influential in this world. And talking about how the chaos in the Middle East sets up for Iran, uh, possibly setting up a a pathway to Israel because they have a connection into Iraq, connection into Syria, connection into Lebanon, and you come right across the pathway from Iran over to Lebanon and then down into Israel. This is quite uh, concerning, isn't it? Uh, well, that's right. And and by the way, nobody should ever discount Henry Kissinger. This is somebody who's got a scope of understanding and a depth of knowledge really unequaled in our world. The fact that he's 94 and is still putting out this kind of sweeping analysis of world affairs, which is original and insightful uh, and penetrating, should not surprise us. Now, I've got to give you a little personal word here, Jimmy. My own little mama just turned 100. Now, she doesn't have anything like Henry's brain power, <laughs> but she's a fire plug in and still going. So I can understand that Henry Kissinger at 94, who is a, an absolute genius in world affairs, uh, would be able to continue to astonish us. His brain is all there, and he is still producing uh, tremendous work that uh, I think is really a guidestone, both for President Trump and for anybody who reads it. I would agree 100%. I thought that was an excellent article. Uh, let me ask you uh, about Nigeria and what's going on as it relates to the massacre of Christians there. You were in northern Iraq just recently. We talked about it here on the broadcast. Christians have been martyred. Uh, churches have been burned. Uh, there's been an attack by the Islamic world on Christians. It's now reached down into Africa to Nigeria, where 50 Christians were massacred right during a service in a church. Well, that's right, and, and this type of thing is happening, Jimmy, and our, our leaders are saying nothing about it, or they're saying that, oh, the person who did it was demented or had a psychological problem. This really wasn't jihadi Islam. This was not a anti-Christian attack. It was just a, a poor, demented person or somebody who was mentally ill. No, it was not. This was an attack by a Muslim extremist who sought to do what the Koran tells him to do, which is to kill the infidel wherever he is. And that battlefront, we can see it in Nigeria. That's one of the fronts in this battle around the world. But it's happening elsewhere. It's happening in Britain. It's happening right here in Sweden, where I sit uh, today, where Muslim immigrants are, are murdering and raping Christian girls that they find here in Sweden. The Swedes now have to have all-girl concerts for Swedish women so they can go there and not be raped by mm. Muslim men. This is something that is absolutely unheard of uh, in 700 years in this European country. We have to call things out. We have to call it like it is. Uh, this is an attack, an Islamic jihadi attack against Christians. It's happening in Nigeria. It's happening in Sweden. It's happening in Australia. It's happening in Britain. It's happening in the United States. Wow. And you know, one of my concerns, Ken, is nobody's talking about it, hardly, except you and me. And I think that it's very important we keep this in front of our listeners all the time. I thank Absolutely. you so much for being on top of it. I didn't realize that was that bad in Sweden. That's amazing. Folks, that's why we have Ken Timmerman on these microphones with us. He comes to the broadcast table helping us to understand geopolitical activities. His venue this time was there in Sweden. Ken, thank you so much. Have a good journey into Europe and into Sweden, and we'll talk again real soon. 
Thanks so much, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break. When we come back, it's a Middle East news update. David Dolan standing by. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Have you ever wanted to know more about God's plan for the future? Have you ever tried to understand prophetic passages in God's Word, like, say, the book of Revelation, and been frustrated at not being able to figure it out? Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest CD series, Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, will help you gain the ability to understand where to start in your study of prophecy and allow you to read God's Word in a new and exciting way. Understanding God's prophetic Word will allow you to live a pure and productive life until Jesus returns for the church. Keys will help you gain the tools you need to understand the end-time events as foretold in God's Word. Dr. DeYoung lays out a systematic approach to Bible prophecy for those who want to know God's plan for the future. Tracks included are A Roadmap Through the End Times, The Jew in Jerusalem, Daniel and the Antichrist, Ezekiel and Messiah's Temple, and Revelation and Babylon. To order your copy of Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's Keys for Unlocking God's Plan for the Future, visit our website at prophecytoday.com. Prophecy Today is heard all across the USA on the Prophecy Today radio network, but also it is heard around the world through our website at prophecytoday.com. And Jay, there are many other features on our prophecytoday.com website, like daily news updated out of the Middle East as it pertains to what's happening prophetically. Special reports can be heard right on our website at prophecytoday.com. We have Prophecy Q&A available for you. Questions asked in the past can be answered on the website if you just check it out and go to that particular spot. Prophecy Quiz is available, and parts of our Prophecy Today program, if you should miss any part of it, will be heard the next week right here at prophecytoday.com. And don't forget, you can even email your questions to us for our live radio broadcast. Just go to our website at prophecytoday.com. You'll be amazed, you'll be surprised at what you'll find on our website. Be sure to visit us at prophecytoday.com on the World Wide Web. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. David Dolan standing by with that Middle East News update. I want to remind you that we have some very special broadcast partners upcoming in just a moment. We're going to have Colonel Bob McGinnis at the Pentagon. We're going to talk about the North Korean situation. Don DeYoung standing by. He is going to come to these broadcast microphones with the purpose of talking about the largest dinosaur ever found in this world. You don't want to miss these conversations. So keep the dial set right to where it is. And remember, I'll take a look at the book at the end of this broadcast. Now let's go to David. David, uh, you know, we're talking about North Korea and what's happening there. I think the Israelis are a bit concerned. When you think about North Korea, in the Middle East, it was that North Korean team that came in to Syria and started building that factory to produce chemical weapons of mass destruction. And I think the Iranians are watching what the United States is going to do as it relates to North Korea to see if they can have some leeway and do what they want to do and see if they can get away with it as well. What what are the Israelis thinking about this North Korean situation and their connection to the Middle East? Well, Jimmy, I've had some correspondence from some of my friends there and uh, some insecurity and they're extremely concerned. Not only did North Korea help Syria on their chemical weapons program, as they did, but they also were helping them build a nuclear reactor that Israel destroyed in 2006. I was in Tel Aviv at the time, and we heard the aircraft heading north and uh, having no idea where they were heading. But like the Iraqi 
reactor in uh, 81, uh, Saddam's uh, reactor was destroyed. So the Israelis got this at an early stage. And at the time, they reported that they believed some North Korean uh, personnel had actually been killed, and that was later confirmed. So North Korea's role with Syria and Iran is very deep. Now, you know, let's uh, don't forget that President George W. Bush named this in one of his first uh, speeches as president, this axis of evil between North Korea, Iran, and Syria. And he said from the get-go that the United States suspected that uh, North Korea was playing a large role in Iran's attempts to uh, develop nuclear weapons, because even though North Korea at the time was not completely there, maybe, well, we now know they were, actually, even then they had already some nuclear bombs, uh, that only came out later, we knew they were working on them, and they shared that technology, apparently, with the Iranians. Well, of course, that program, Iranian program, was supposedly shut down, although so was North Korea's in 1994, when President Clinton signed this deal to curb their production, and we saw where that went. So the Israelis are very worried that there could be a plan now that if there is a full war in the Far East, or even not a full war, but just some sort of incident where the U.S. and let's say the U.S. and maybe Japan shoot some anti-rocket missiles up against some incoming North Korean ones, if they do this this sort of provocative, quote, test around Guam that they're saying they are planning to do next week, that they may try to, let's say, increase their chances, the North Koreans, of, you know, succeeding by starting problems elsewhere at the same time and, and getting the United States involved in several conflicts all at once. So that's a real concern, Jimmy, and the, the Israelis are, you can imagine, going to be watching this extremely carefully. I know they are. Uh, their forces are going to be watching it, and they will be ready for any possible uh, attempt to add to this situation by what is, after all, North Korea's second closest ally, that is Iran. Uh, first is China, of course, but China's not a, well, we don't think so, we hope not, a rogue state that's, uh, you know, going to join in such a, a provocative action, uh, a provocative war. It could come to that, but they certainly are not expected to initiate anything or be in the initial stages, but the rogue regime of Iran, uh, the two worst, most powerfully armed rogue regimes on Earth, they're, they're twins, North Korea and Iran. Iran's bigger, a lot more people, and uh, a lot wealthier, uh, but of course it has this um, puppet force, Hezbollah, stationed not only now along the northern border with Lebanon, but also with Syria, and as we discussed last week, even along the Golan Heights. And, of course, Russia makes that uh, possible, and the Israelis are also still, I've been told, very closely watching this troop buildup that the Russians are conducting up in the Baltic states, outside of Estonia and Lithuania. They've been, you know, reinforcing their military uh, assets there on the Baltic Sea in uh, Kaliningrad, the little state that they run there. And uh, the concern in Israel is that we may be facing a world war if this breaks out, Jimmy, and that the other main center of it would be them, the Middle East. And again, it takes two to make peace. It only takes one to start a war. So I can tell you that they will be on full military alert watching what's going on on the other side of the continent. Now, people wouldn't think that Israel is in Asia, but, you know, technically it is on the western edge of the continent of Asia, and North Korea is on the eastern 
uh, edge of that, uh, thousands of miles away, but nevertheless in the same general part of the earth, and that, that you know, this could be uh, a plan that these people have. So they'll be watching very, very carefully, and of course, how can Israel deal with that best? By being ready, as President uh, Trump has said about America, and then it's pretty obvious. You you try to deter, you try to keep your enemy at bay. If you don't want war, and Israel certainly doesn't want war, but they see this as a real strategic possibility, Jimmy, and they'll be watching and ready for any possibilities. Meanwhile, back home in Israel, King Abdullah of Jordan comes across the Jordan River, visits with Mahmoud Abbas, president of the Palestinian Authority, there in Ramallah. That was a quite interesting visit. Well, it was, and it again demonstrates Jordan's political decision uh, after the riots in Jerusalem a few weeks ago to move to the right, as it were, to become more assertive in their role in Jerusalem, uh, running the Temple Mount and the Waff and all of that, and that's always been officially the case. But the truth has been that although there are Jordanian Waff officials always uh, in the area, they live in Jerusalem and they are allowed to do so and they, you know, participate in things, but really it's been the Palestinians that have on the ground actually run things and actually do most of the actions and that sort of thing. And King Abdullah is apparently saying, well, you know, we want to step up our role there. And, of course, officially the visit was to support the Palestinian Authority and to express on the ground, as it were, that support. And it it was significant in that it hasn't happened in a few years. It's not that it never happens. And, of course, Amman is really only 30 miles or so as the crow flies between Ramallah and also Jerusalem, uh, just to the south of Ramallah. It's not that far away. Nevertheless, you do cross an international border, and and, uh, the king doesn't do it that often. So it was a statement, and the Israelis took note. But, Jimmy, now they've gone on to other things. The the crisis in the Far East and the crisis the prime minister is in politically and with the police and that, and those have been uh, grabbing the recent headlines. It seems like, I'd say this, but if nobody's being killed today in the conflict, then it kind of goes off the front page until the next time that comes up, and there always is a next time, unfortunately, when that comes up. David, talk to me about the Palestinian video. You just have King Abdullah visiting with Mahmoud Abbas there in Ramallah, and they release a Palestinian video where the speaker says, I will cleanse my country of Jews, and I will do this because I swear by my religion, Islam. Boy, that sounds like tough rhetoric. Well, as we've discussed, it's not just rhetoric either in the sense that they feel this is their God-given duty. And I've heard that on several Israeli commentaries this week, Jimmy. They say, you know, we have to take seriously these threats. And in Israel, we've learned that when a country like Iran says, we're going to destroy you and wipe out Tel Aviv, we're going to wipe out Haifa, and eventually we'll retake all of Jerusalem. They don't say they'll wipe out Jerusalem, because, of course, it's a holy city for them. So they've got to somehow capture that without slaughtering everyone, and a third of the people are Muslims, by the way, too. But they're saying that because they see the same sorts of threats being made by North America against the United States, but not, again, threats like statements, we will destroy D.C., we will destroy you. And uh, I've seen several commentators say, 
take that seriously, America, because these rogue nations, even though North Korea has a difference, it's not a Muslim state, and these are not religious principles that the leadership are espousing when they talk about the United States. It's purely politics. Yet the same spirit is in them, the same willingness, it seems, to kill their own people to achieve their goals. And we know the communist regimes in North Korea have been starving their people to death for years, so they're obviously not afraid of that. And we know the Iranians have treated their own people horribly at times, and they really don't care about their rights. So dangerous situations all around. And that video, yeah, the Israelis say, no, we can't just put it on the shelf. The war continues. We have to recognize that it's, it's uh, their goal. And it's going to be a threat all the way till the return of Jesus Christ. We have David Dolan do this Middle East News update to show you how this very important region of the world is setting the stage for Bible prophecy to be fulfilled. David, thank you so very much. We'll talk again next week. You're welcome, Jimmy. God bless. We're going to take a break, and when we come back, Dr. Don DeYoung He's an astronomer, a scientist, and he's going to be talking about the largest dinosaur on the earth ever and what's going to happen on August the 21st in the heavenlies. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. In today's world, a biblical worldview and a proper understanding of biblical prophecy should be a priority. At a time when many false doctrines are entering the church at a frightening pace, we must be able to rightly divide God's Word in order to live a pure and productive life for Him. If you would like an in-depth understanding of biblical prophecy, let me challenge you to consider Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. The School of Prophets is an online study for the layman or student pursuing a master's or doctorate degree. Dr. DeYoung's online study program will allow you to develop a timeline of biblical prophecies of the past, as well as future prophecies yet to be fulfilled. Your personal study of God's Word will only be enhanced by Dr. DeYoung's School of Prophets, and your life will be changed as you better understand, like Daniel, where you fit into God's calendar of events. If you're interested in developing a deeper understanding of God's prophetic Word, let me personally invite you to become involved in Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's School of Prophets. Call today at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. Or visit us at schoolofprophets.org. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Prophecy Today. Jimmy DeYoung, as I said, here in Temporary Studios at our headquarters for Prophecy Today. It's uh, the world headquarters, of course, and we're in Chattanooga, Tennessee. We're excited about what we have in this half hour. In just a moment, Dr. Don DeYoung is going to be talking to us about the largest dinosaur that's ever been found. I need to find out some very important information from Don. He's a scientist. He's an astronomer. He's just a brilliant guy. So we'll be joining him in just a moment. Later on in this half hour, we're going to have Colonel Bob McGinnis. He's at the White House. I'm going to talk to him about North Korea. What's the situation? What about our president being pretty strong in his rhetoric towards North Korea? Well, that leader there in North Korea responding quickly and talking about Guam. We'll get into the conversation with Colonel Bob McGinnis in a moment. So glad you could join us, and I hope you can give us the whole 90 minutes so that you can hear all of our broadcast partners. Well, as I was saying at the beginning of this half hour, Dr. Don DeYoung is going to join us. He is head of the science department out in Winona Lake, Indiana at Grace College. He's also an astronomer, 
pretty much into that, very knowledgeable of the, the skies, the heavenlies, and what's going on there. In fact, I want to talk about that as well. He's written a book on astronomy for beginners. I'm so glad he gave me a copy of it. I'm a beginner, but I love going out at night and walking and looking up into the heavenlies. Don, there has been a report, I think you've probably seen it, about uh, the finding of the what they say the largest dinosaur ever, saying it weighed about the same weight of a 737 aircraft. That's about 76 tons. What do you know about it? Uh, yes, Jimmy, this report takes us to um, southern Argentina, which is a real hunting ground for dinosaur fossils. And uh, they find some uh, large examples. Previously, there was one called Argentinosaur, and now they have a new one found uh, that they call Titanosaur, the largest yet. There's almost like competition to find the, <laughs> the biggest dinosaur fossil. Several bones have been found, large femurs and skull and that kind of thing. And yes, uh, estimates are that that creature would have been about 120 feet long, a neck long enough to reach a seventh-story floor of a building. Mm. Now, still not as heavy as uh, the largest creature ever, the blue whale, about twice as much. Of course, they're in the water for buoyancy. But Titanosaur, a very large dinosaur. You say that they found several bones. They were able to determine how large this dinosaur was by just a couple of bones? Well, probably over 100 bones were found, ribs and uh, lig bones. Yes, when you put those together and do uh, computer modeling, you can come up with an estimate of the overall size of the animal that, that those bones would support. You can even, uh, Jimmy, come up with the stride of the dinosaur, how fast it could have moved mm. in its behavior. You learn a lot from their bone structure. And why is the area of Argentina a good hunting grounds for large dinosaurs? Yeah, very interesting. Uh, that's called the Southern Cone. It's called Patagonia. It's an area that hadn't been looked at until recent years, but very desert-like. Really, there were dinosaurs all over the planet in pre-flood days and in post-flood as they uh, dispersed. And uh, that's just an area where uh, they accumulated and uh, they, they kind of um, wash out of hillsides when there is rain, when there is erosion. That's quite a hunting ground. Sounds like a description that is given in the book of Job in the Bible about uh, that large animal that laid there in the Jordan River and swallowed it up. A similar size, probably, was it not? Well, yes. Uh, I think Job was familiar with these creatures. Now, he's living in the centuries after the flood, but uh, these animals had come off the ark, and uh, for a while they reproduced. Job 40 describes a behemoth, which is more of a land creature, in fact, Scripture says it was the largest, the highest rank among what God made. So that may be referring to a land-type dinosaur. Note 41 is the Leviathan, which is more of a marine reptile, uh, creatures that lived in the water. Now, uh, talk to me about the fact that you just said they came off the ark. It wasn't a dinosaur that large, weighing some 76 tons, and two of those on the ark, was it? Well, even though there was a lot of room on the ark, I'm sure it was not the, the, the king-sized ones. You know, dinosaurs uh, begin small as reptiles. They came out of eggs, so perhaps they were brought on board, or juveniles. As we study dinosaurs, especially their bones and the way they grew, um, we determined that dinosaurs, uh, they never stopped growing. As years went by, the older they got, the larger they got. It might have tapered off, but uh, their size continued. So a large one that they find in southern Argentina might have been an old-timer, even one that had lived for centuries. But they started small, 
and there was room on board the ark for two of the biblical kinds. You know, it's quite interesting. I understand that philosophy. The older they get, the larger they get. It's applicable to humankind as well, in particular me. Uh, They said in the report that I read that uh, this happened about 100 million years ago. Now, if you're saying that dinosaurs were on the ark and uh, there before the flood and then after the flood, flood was about 4,500 years ago, so that destroys this 100 million years. Well, you know, the whole age becomes uh, continues to be controversial. Uh, I think uh, that these ancient ages, 100 million years, are, um, uh, are a bit much. In uh, the biblical time frame, there's plenty of time for um, world history, biblical history, what we can see, with, yes, dinosaurs being present at creation, um, even uh, a ballpark figure of 4,000 B.C., and then, yes, you have the flood about 4,500 years ago, and uh, dinosaurs on the ark and off the ark. And uh, in our our view, then they would have finally died out long about um, 2000 B.C., much more recent than uh, evolutionary scientists guess at. Boy, every statement you make gives me more questions. I understand dinosaurs were created on the sixth day of creation, as recorded there in Genesis chapter 1 in those uh, 24-hour days, and then you said they died out about 2000 B.C. Am I correct on the time they were created, and how did they die away? Yes. Again, if the flood is 2500 B.C., dinosaurs are alive then, on the ark, off the ark. What happens, uh, Jimmy, in the centuries following the flood, uh, the earth gets colder. There was an ice age, a biblical ice age, actually uh, probably connected with the flood itself, which had kind of um, upset the world's climate and, and stability. So there was a colder period, and as these animals came off the ark and started to um, spread out and reproduce, this colder period became a rough time for lots of creatures. Some were able to migrate toward the equator, perhaps. Other ones didn't. And so uh, instead of a a comet or a meteorite hitting the Earth and uh, uh, extinguishing the dinosaurs, it may well be that a climate change did them in, in relatively recent time, about 2000 to 2500 B.C. You know, it's amazing to me. These uh, dinosaurs we're talking about, and the largest one supposedly that they have found, weighing some 76 tons, that's hard for me to imagine, but they were... They were examples of God's creative ability, and, and they're, uh, they're something that we need to study and understand and recognize. That's one of the reasons I wanted to have you recognize what God did. He brought man into existence. He brought these large creatures into existence as well uh, to bring glory to himself, didn't he? Yes, and the best we can tell from uh, studying this titanosaur, it was a, uh, a plant eater. And with that kind of size, they would have been fascinating. They would have moved rather slow and gracefully, like large, large animals today, like elephants. And their enemy is gravity or falling. Uh, because they're so heavy, they would have been a, a gentle giant. Don, I've got to ask you about what's coming up on August the 21st. Everybody's talking about it. You go to YouTube, all the so-called prophecy teachers are saying this is a part of God's plan for fulfilling Bible prophecy. Uh, that's going to be a special event in the heavenlies. You're an 
astronomer. So I want you to lay in on this, and let's just use this as some introductory words. We'll come back together next week, and we'll have another conversation about it. But what's going to happen on August the 21st? Well, yes, Jimmy, there's two kinds of eclipses. The moon can get covered up, a lunar eclipse. That's quite um, frequent. Or you can get a solar eclipse when the sun gets covered, sometimes completely a total eclipse. And that does happen on August 21st, the first time in in a century that this path of darkness has moved completely across the country. And so it'll be exciting to to observe this. Uh, God certainly controls this, and prophecy may be involved. But what I just see is how God orchestrates. You know exactly when this is going to happen to the very second. The sun, the moon, everything in space follows exactly the laws that God established. Now, you said it's going to move across the entire United States. How about you? Are you going to be out there on that path watching this happen? Well, the path is about 70 miles wide where it's a total eclipse. Up here in Indiana, the sun will be like 90% covered. So, yes, uh, some students and I are headed um, to be on the path down more in your direction, and uh, we hope that it's not a a cloudy day or a rainy day, which would uh, kind of interfere, but we hope to experience um, God's uh, glory in the heavens as the sun disappears for just a couple of minutes. Wow. God's glory in the heavens. That's Psalm chapter 19. Don, what a joy to be able to talk with you, find out about this, the largest dinosaur, supposedly, that has ever been found, and the events in the heavenlies, August the 21st. We'll get together again next week, talk more about it before we're able to witness this event in the heavens. Thank you, Don. God bless. We'll talk next week. See you then, Jimmy. Right now, we're going to change regions of the world and focus on a major region in Bible prophecy. Uh, That would be the area of the European Union. European Union, of course, as I believe and our broadcast partner does as well, is the infrastructure for the revived Roman Empire. Am I correct on that, Dr. Rob Congdon? Yes, uh, I agree with you. I see it as the embryo that's leading to that final form. Wow, yes indeed. Well, let's look at current events as it relates to the European Union. The focus of the world seems to be on North Korea and what that crazy leader there is doing, and then the radical rhetoric coming from President Donald Trump. I'm telling you, you don't know what's going to happen. Meanwhile, the European Union, especially Angela Merkel, who is the Chancellor of Germany, kind of pushing back on any type of military action on North Korea, wanting to go to the diplomacy table. I I don't think that's work. What is going on in the European Union and with Angela Merkel? Well, her response is exactly what you would expect from the leaders of the EU. Remember, the whole principle of the EU from its beginning was to prevent war in Europe ever again and, wherever possible, eliminate war possibilities. So they're always going to go the diplomatic route. And the years in terms of Europe have shown that through the European Union there has been peace. But history argues against, in the long term, just diplomatic approaches. They have failed so many times, and the EU has seen that over and over. And within their own country, the diplomatic attempts have ultimately failed to achieve the goals. So she, she's just reflecting what I would call a typical European leadership mindset that really supports the EU and believes it and world government is the only solution to peace. 
world government, the only solution to peace, boy, that is an absolute lead-in to Bible prophecy. We'll restrain ourselves because we've got to look at some other items in the news. For example, let's go and get a report on Brexit. I know it's vacation time in Europe, not a whole lot happening, but I understand there are people wanting to leave, get out of the European Union. Is that other than Great Britain? Who's that you're talking about? Well, there are other nations that have just been starting to complain, let's use that term, against the EU and its sovereign control of their own countries. We see both Hungary, we've seen Poland, we've seen some of the Eastern European uh, nations starting to react, and occasionally you'll see journalists now starting ad, like in Britain, they called it the Brexit, you've seen a polexic I don't know quite how to pronounce when you combine some of these. And Hungary, they're starting to, it's starting to rumble is probably the best way to phrase it, wondering if it's really wise to be part of the EU. Uh, We can expect the EU could have some shifting around, just like the Roman Empire had a shifting of borders and territory. So I don't think this spells the end of the EU, but I think it's just showing there's a general trend of uneasiness as people, the people, not the elites, not the leaders, are seeing the control that the EU is bringing into their own lives. Well, let's uh, think about Brexit as it relates to Great Britain, that part of the world that really is in motion to try to do it. But I hear the leaders there in Britain are almost divided, in fact, three different ways. What's going on there? Yes, uh, in the government, in Britain, they're really divided three ways between the hard Brexit, which is basically saying we leave and no further connections other than just friendships, and the those who say, no, let's just stay where we are, and now you've got the middle group that's kind of in between. The latest poll that has come out has been really remarkable because it's saying that the British people, and I always stress this, the people often don't agree with their leaders. The people want a hard Brexit. They want to be free of the immigration influences into Britain, and they really are starting to speak out that they're afraid of the European Court of Justice and its laws. They want their own laws. They want to be sovereign over their own lives within their country. So this poll has been surprising because it's, it's basically saying the majority of people in Britain want some form of separation from the EU. So the the remaining party group people are losing the influence very quickly as the people are all turning against the EU. Well, we'll stay on top of this story with Dr. Rob Kingdom because it does have a great significance as it relates to Bible prophecy and the forming of the revived Roman Empire. Dr. Rob Congdon, the man who covers that part of the world, that region that's key to understanding Bible prophecy, the European Union. Rob, great report. Thank you so much. We'll talk again next week. We'll look forward to it. Lord bless. Now we're going to go to the man in Washington, D.C., who works at the Pentagon, his day job, in helping make the strategy for the military across the world But he has a lot of opportunities in the media, radio, and television. We're always thrilled when we can get Colonel Bob McGinnis alongside us here at the broadcast table to talk about some issues. And, Bob, we've got to deal with this North Korean situation. I want to know, is that a real threat or bravado? No, it's a real threat, Jimmy. They have a very large inventory of ballistic missiles that are increasing in their capability both for the region and against us, given that they've tested two intercontinental ballistic missiles in July. Uh, 
And then, of course, they've done five tests of nuclear devices. And, you know, based upon the most recent report from the Defense Intelligence Agency that was in the Washington Post, uh, they think that they have up to 60 different devices. Uh, and, of course, that they can miniaturize those devices, put them on a ballistic missile, and fire them in our direction. Now, there's a lot of complexities there, but if they can, in fact, do that, then they're a very serious threat and one that uh, we must do something about. Now, you said devices. Are you talking about some type of a nuclear device? Yes, a, a nuclear device that uh, apparently uh, they've put on display within the last year a uh, cylindrical capsule that would fit inside a warhead and that would ostensibly include a nuclear discharge. Now, how they would trigger it and whether or not it could survive reentry on a long uh, journey to the United States, those are questions that are still being wrestled with. But, you know, they've made rapid progress, and because of that progress, uh, many in the intelligence community are convinced that, you know, they eventually, and not, you know, 10 years from now, but in the near future, will have a capability to strike us. And uh, then that device that we're talking about, the miniature-type device, uh, would it do a lot of damage, or what would the area be? EMPs, or what would the approach be? I suspect that they would like to have one that would explode, say, a mile up, or even less, because that will do the most damage. Now, the device that they tested a year ago, next month had the capability or the explosive potential of what was used on Hiroshima, hmm. twice that. And so that was a fairly devastating bomb, and so one that's twice that capability would be uh, very serious. Well, there's been talk coming out of North Korea about focusing and targeting, actually, Guam. I've been out to that island. And I'm wondering, uh, are they really serious about that? And one of these devices, could it be used there? Well, they would be targeting Anderson Air Force Base on Guam, uh, where we operate uh, some of our fighters and long-range bombers. And you know, if, if, in fact, uh, they do have the targeting uh, down, then certainly that's well within range, as is Hawaii, as is uh, most of Alaska and most of the West Coast of the United States. So... Uh, you know, there are so many unknowns here, Jimmy, that it's, um, at this point, it's speculation based upon what we can get from satellite imagery, what we can get from intercepts, and uh, the few you know, humans that, of course, that we can talk to that may have some firsthand knowledge. Well, I've got to say that the president believes that this is a viable possibility. He came out pretty strong with his response uh, to the leader of North Korea saying that the most powerful attack that he's ever going to have happen on him and fire and whatever. What do you think about the president's response like that? You know, the, the president, of course, used the words fire and fury, and the defense secretary used something similar. Uh, and so th there's no question that they take the threat seriously. Now, at the same time, you've got Secretary Tillerson, who's been in you know, this past weekend in Manila, and he made uh, sort of a good cop, bad cop uh, 
you know, approach. You know, the president and the secretary of defense being the bad cop. But Tillerson said, look, you know, we don't seek regime change, Mr. Kim. What we seek is you to abandon your ballistic missile program and your nuclear program. Uh, and then we're not going to bother you. Uh, we want to talk to you. And, of course, uh, so Tillerson is, is sort of throwing a, a uh, olive leaf out there of sorts, a fig leaf, I suppose, and saying we want to uh, find a diplomatic outcome. Now, meanwhile, of course, we're increasing our military capability and readiness. We're testing ballistic missiles, the FAD, the Patriot, uh, an ICBM out of uh, the west coast of the United States, and we're flying uh, all sorts of bombers near Korea. We're doing more exercises. We're putting Aegis fighters out there. We're putting aircraft carriers on alert. So there are a lot of moving parts to this, and it would appear as if we're sending as many strong signals as we possibly can trying to get them to stop the incendiary rhetoric and stop the test. Well, you're a strategy maker. You put that together with the military there at the Pentagon. You think that the good cop, bad cop approach is a good idea? Well, I, I think we're we're sort of guessing as to uh, what you know, Kim Jong-un's uh, real motivations are here. We know he wants regime survival, and that's why Tillerson has been saying that. Uh, he clearly doesn't like the sanctions that were imposed uh, this past weekend because you know, that's going to cut off his primary source of income that fuels his ballistic missile and nuclear programs. And, of course, his people are starving to death because, you know, he pays one uh, at the expense of the other. Uh, so he would like one, some sort of assurance that regime survival is a, a given, that he doesn't want the United States to take advantage and attack him, uh, so that's why he have a, a nuclear arsenal. And at the same time, uh, he would like to get a, you know, some sort of help with his economy. I, I think Tillerson made clear, we'll help with the economy, but you have to abandon the other two. Uh, that's a hard read at this point, uh, given what he's been doing over the last uh, number of years. You mentioned the sanctions. The United Nations Security Council voted 15-0. Nikki Haley was just uh, so great at the task of getting Russia and China to sign on. Now, having said that, if you were trying to get Russia and or China to deal with North Korea, to shut them down, to get them to go away, basically, which approach would you use, the Russian approach or the Chinese approach? Well, I, I think that China created the monster of North Korea, and China has to resolve that problem. And it's going to take more than you know, a pat on the back to get them to do the hard lifting here. I think we're going to have to sanction China in a way that hurts them, go after their banks, uh, go after any evidence of uh, support that they give to the North Koreans. Uh, we have to get very serious here. Um, I don't think it's our problem to resolve, even though the missiles are pointing in our direction based upon what Peng Yang says. Still, Beijing has to step up and they have the means to do that. Uh, they can cut off all fuel. They can cut off all bank accounts. They can cut off virtually everything that that nation survives on. Uh, until that happens, I don't know that you know a U.N. vote is going to make any difference at all. 
Well, in your opinion, and you're a military strategist, do you think this is going to go away, or are we going to have maybe possibly even boots on the ground in the Korean Peninsula once again? Well, of course, we have 28,000 boots on the ground now there, and they've been there since uh, the Korean War. Uh, but I, I don't, I think that we will find a solution, um, a near-term solution, but this ugliness uh, may crop up again uh, if, in fact, uh, we prove to you know, find that they continue their program. Uh, but there's verification. You know, we went through verification with the Iraqis and the Iranians. Um, obviously, it didn't work out all that well, uh, and questionably, it's not going to work out with Iran. Uh, but make no mistake, uh, the Iranians in Tehran are watching what's happening with North Korea. So if we fail with North Korea, Iran's going to take advantage of it. If we succeed, and then perhaps the agreement of 2015 with Iran uh, will have some substance, because the Iranians were laughing at us the other day when we said we want to inspect some suspect sites. And I suspect the Iranians are far more sophisticated than the North Koreans, and therefore uh, they don't have to openly test their nuclear devices uh, to ensure that they actually will function. So the, these are tenuous times, and clearly uh, both nations are on our radar, and we have to figure out how we can do things smartly uh, and save lives both here and there. You know, that's an interesting connection you made there, and that's the reason that we have Colonel Bob McGinnis on the air with us here on a program called Prophecy Today Weekend, because there is a connection between the way the United States handles North Korea and the Iranians and their development of a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. Getting back to the Middle East and the alignment of nations, I would like to go against the Jewish state of Israel. Bob, thank you so very much, my good friend. We appreciate it. We'll talk again real soon. Well, thank you, Jimmy. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I've got David James standing by. We have a special issue we're going to discuss as we have our weekly conversation. That's all ahead right here on Prophecy Today. Hi, everybody. Jimmy DeYoung. Welcome back to the last half hour of Prophecy Today. So glad to have had you for the first hour. Now, we need 30 more minutes to finish off our discussion, and then I'll take a look at the book right here at this location on the dial. So glad everybody could join us. And do me a favor. Would you tell your friends that they need to listen to Prophecy Today? Now, it's on the air right now, so they won't be able to catch it at this time. But they can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there they can re-listen to any and every part of the program. All my broadcast partners will be there. You can hear their reports from different parts of the world and know exactly what's happening as it relates to current events and see how that then fits into the prophetic scenario that is found in Bible prophecy. Again, that address, prophecytoday.com, PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network. By the way, if you go to the website, prophecytoday.com, on the left-hand column of my home page, you'll find the poll question. I'd like for you to answer that poll question each and every week. Here it is for this week. Do you believe that in order to understand Bible prophecy, you must take the Bible literally? 
even as we take the creation account in Genesis 1 also literally. This is key. If you don't take the beginning, you're not going to be able to get the end. Both of them are literal, Genesis 2, Revelation, all literal as we interpret the Word of God. Again, go to my website. On the left-hand column of my home page, you'll find the poll question. I'd like for you to answer that poll question each and every week. It's prophecytoday.com. And, of course, I've got to invite you to look at the possibility of joining us on a trip to Israel and Petra. Go to Joshua Travel, all the details, the information, the dates, the cost, the itinerary, all available on my website at prophecytoday.com. Go there and find out what you need to know to join us on a tour to Israel. We now bring to these microphones David James. It's that time of the week when we get together for a conversation that I believe is going to be beneficial for the body of Christ, for the church to hear and then learn from. This is key to understanding some of the issues that we discuss together here on Prophecy Today. David, this week we catch you in Poland at the end of this three-week trip that uh, you've had to Europe. Some of it was with Jim Jr. over there in Romania, and then you're now in Poland. What's been going on? Oh, it's been great. I've really had a great time. I enjoy coming to this part of the world. And this week I've been with Word of Life about an hour south of uh, Warsaw, and I've been teaching uh, a group of young people, future leaders in a discipleship camp. So in addition to the regular summer camp that's primarily for Christian kids, younger kids, this is a kind of a special group that has some potential for even some future leadership positions, and I've been uh, helping them with this discipleship camp, teaching uh, current theological issues, uh, covered five five topics, importance of Bible doctrine, the process of biblical discernment, the purpose of speaking in tongues in the New Testament, the gospel under siege, which is uh, comparing uh, false gospels with the true biblical gospel, and then finally, the gospel of Roman Catholicism. So it's been a great week. Well, I bet you it has. And by the way, please give those leaders and people out there with Word of Life Poland our greetings. Last time Judy and I were there a couple of years ago, picked us up at the airport. It was raining. It was foggy. And we did 90 miles an hour down that highway from Warsaw to where you are. I'm glad I'm still alive after that. Those Word of Life guys. I know how they drive. I used to be one of them. Well, you mentioned that one of the topics that you covered in your course this week was the gospel of Roman Catholicism. And this would have been very important, I would think, for the young people who were that you were teaching there, since Poland is a, a very Catholic country. Well, that's right. Poland is one of the two most Catholic countries in the world, it along with the Republic of Ireland. It's about 90% uh, Catholic, and of those, about 90% are actively practicing, which is an extremely high number. A lot of people think maybe Italy is the most Catholic country in the world. But in terms of practicing, it's only about 3 or 4%, even though they're all baptized into the Catholic Church. So it's a country of about 38 million people, and about 34 million of those would be Catholic. And it's interesting, it has one of the lowest rates of uh, evangelicals, born-again believers in Europe. It's something under a half a percent. And so Catholicism came into this country officially. The date they put on it is 966. 
And so it's an extremely Catholic country, and it's, it's interesting that I was able to uh, order my lessons that I did, the Gospel of Roman Catholicism, uh, just before they went out and spent two afternoons on the street uh, witnessing to people in a nearby town. So they were able to uh, apply the things they've learned. And, of course, a lot of these young people have also been saved out of Roman Catholicism, so they still have a lot of family and friends as well. What a great method of teaching, putting them on the street to apply what they've just learned right there immediately after being taught how to do exactly what you want them to do when Roman Catholics to Jesus Christ. David, many of our listeners would be old enough to remember Pope John Paul II, who was actually born there and raised up in Poland. How would you describe the legacy of John Paul II in Poland and for Catholics in general? Pope John Paul II is certainly seen as a, a favorite son of Poland. Even years after his death, he died in 2005, and he was Pope from 1978 to 2005, so it makes him, I think, the third uh, longest reigning Pope, and they would call it a reign over the Catholic Church. And he had tremendous influence uh, during that long, long history. He visited some something like nearly 130 countries, so he positioned himself as an international statesman, uh, I was looking on one website just to see what he would be known as, what would be his uh, true legacy, and I did find some interesting information. One, he, can't, he canonized or made named as saint almost 500 people, which is more than all the popes in the previous 1,000 years combined. So that has a tremendous effect on the life of the Church. Perhaps what he's most well-known for uh, in Poland is his role in bringing down communism. He visited Poland uh, the year after he was made pope. That would have been in 1979. And Lech Walesa a few years ago mentioned that before the pope came, he couldn't find 10 people in 20 years who wanted to fight communism. But when the pope came, in just a year after that, that movement went to 10 million people. And as we know, the Berlin Wall fell and the uh, other communist countries also switched to democracies, uh, pushed out communism in uh, in uh, late 1989. So that's a tremendous uh, influence. He oversaw the catechism of the uh, revision of the catechism of the Catholic Church. Another thing that's very important is that uh, he had a motto uh, concerning Mary, the Virgin Mary, uh, according to Catholic theology, and his, his motto was, totally yours. So he brought a tremendous attention to Mary and increased the worship and attention to Mary uh, in Roman Catholicism around the world. And then I would say one final thing. The movement Evangelicals and Catholics Together began in 1994, and that was under his leadership as well, and he was also very open to the charismatic movement. So tremendous influence. It seems that the current pope, Pope Francis, has been busy creating his own legacy through a long list of both religious and political statements, which sometimes seem to make international news almost every single week. Well, that's true. He is very unlike his predecessor, Pope Benedict XVI, who was very much a theologian. Pope Francis is much more pastoral in his approach to Catholicism, but not only that. Remember, he comes out of South America, so he was very much influenced by, 
by the communist influence uh, on Catholicism in in South America. So he's been very controversial, both on the political stage as well as religiously, and uh, that poses a problem for many traditional Catholics. For example, even back a few years ago, he said, if someone is gay and searches for the Lord and has goodwill, who am I to judge? In a uh, couple years ago, and with reference to abortion, he gave Catholic priests around the world uh, the uh, right to forgive uh, the sin of abortion. Uh, he's made uh, a lot of statements about climate change. He's made statements about gun ownership. He actually made a statement, something to the effect that uh, those who are involved with the manufacture or uh, of weapons cannot consider themselves Christian. He made a statement not that long ago where he says most Catholic marriages are null and some cohabitations are real marriage. So he just seems to go from one crisis to another and one controversial statement to the next. And one of the things that uh, really bothers some people has been his, uh, his attitude uh, toward immigration in Europe. And uh, as it relates to Islam, is, is, what's he doing about that? Well, obviously, he has reached out to Muslims around the world, and he's at one point he even received a robe, and he is known by some in the Muslim world as the the Catholic sheik, or, or in fact the the specifically Pope uh, sheik. And so he sees that uh, the God of Islam is the same as the God of the Bible, and so he's made a lot of overtures toward Islam, very conciliatory toward it. How do Catholics in Poland view Pope Francis? Is it something different than the way they view John Paul II? Well, this last point that we talked about really does make it significantly different. Uh, I was talking to a guy who is uh, in my discipleship teaching uh, this week. He was saved about 10 years ago at the age of 20 out of the Catholic Church, and he's very much a theologian, very much a reader, so I had a good conversation with him at lunch. He said, uh, Poles really don't like the current Pope, and one of the main reasons is that he's made a statement to the effect, if you are not for Muslim or Islamic immigration into Europe, that you're really not Christian. And it's interesting, I asked him, well, how many immigrants has Poland let into the country? And he said, zero. Uh, And so both Poland and Hungary, these two countries in Eastern Europe, have taken a stance because they see uh, the danger there. Wow, isn't that interesting? Well, going back to the gospel of Roman Catholicism, David, what are some of the most important things to keep in mind when you're out witnessing, especially to Catholics? Well, one is what I call the bottom-line question. Uh, If you reduce the difference between what I would say biblical Christianity and Roman Catholicism, specifically as it relates to salvation, it comes down to one question, and that is, who pays for your sins? In Roman Catholicism, you have to pay for your own sins. They would teach that Jesus' death on the cross made salvation possible, but through good works, through participation in the sacraments, uh, through uh, baptism, through uh, doing penance and spending time in purgatory, you're actually paying for your own sins. Another thing that I point out is that we need to offer Catholics the hope that Jesus Christ paid the full penalty for our sins, and uh, we need to bring that up uh, so that they understand that we aren't paying for our sins, but Christ paid for our sins. As we think about the end times, which we do, of course, on this broadcast, and the events leading up that are foretold in Bible prophecy in the Word of God, do you think that Roman Catholicism fits into this prophetic scenario? 
Well, we do know this. We know in the first half of the tribulation period, before the Antichrist goes in the temple to declare himself to be God, he is going to set up a false uh, Christianity, and he is going to oversee that false religious system. I think it's going to necessarily be bigger than the Catholic Church itself, and some of, of course, some of the Reformers have thought, and many people over the years have thought that the the Pope might be the Antichrist. I think prophetically that's not possible, uh, that he will come up as a political leader. But I think it is possible that given that the, the Catholic Church makes up one billion of the, the world's population, Certainly it has to have a role, and if you go to Revelation chapter 17, uh, where it talks about the harlot on the beast, uh, mystery uh, Babylon, there are so many what seem to be historical parallels. John was obviously looking forward, but us looking back at John's prophecies and visions, there seemed to be some connection there. And then you combine that with the actions of John Paul II, Pope Francis, toward conciliation, uh, toward merging of evangelicalism, and I would say the charismatic movement along with Catholicism. All this is setting the stage for uh, what some uh, have called the supra-religion or the one-world religion uh, that will be present during the first half of the tribulation period. And that's in God's Word, so that is an absolute. By the way, again, that passage, Book of Revelation, chapter 17. David James, the man who helps us conversationally come to and deal with issues that the body of Christ needs to understand. David, great, great information that you've given us today and great insight into Catholicism. By the way, Journey's Mercies, as you travel back home, we'll talk to you again next week. Thanks, Jimmy. I look forward to the next week as well. We're going to take a break right now, and when we come back, I'll take a look at the book right here on Prophecy Today. The book of Revelation is God's final word to man and the timeline of the last days revealed to the Christians. This symbolism-filled example of apocalyptic literature can be difficult to understand, especially when simply reading it from beginning to end. Dr. Jimmy DeYoung's latest book, Revelation, A Chronology, takes a walk through the prophetic book of Revelation in the order that the events will take place, chronologically, sharing insights into its true meaning and doing so in an easy-to-understand and practical way. If you have difficulty understanding the book of Revelation, get your copy of Revelation, A Chronology, and let Dr. Jimmy DeYoung aid you in your understanding of this profound end-times prophecy book that God has preserved in His Scriptures for for Christians in the last days. To order your copy of Jimmy D. Young's Revelation, a chronology, call us toll-free at 877-674-3298 or visit our website at prophecytoday.com. How do you like your news? You know, Jimmy, folks are listening to the news every single day, but sometimes they're getting that liberal bent, and we want them to have a different look at the news. Jay, that's correct. I have listened to ABC, CBS, and NBC when I returned from Jerusalem back to the United States, having just witnessed a news event in the Middle East, and hear the commentators over here speaking something almost different. That's why I write the Until Newsletter, and it takes the leading news stories of the month. I give the absolute truth behind all the details in those headlines, and then we look at it from a prophetic perspective. I want to give you the insight from God's Word as to how the political is setting the stage 
for the prophetic to be fulfilled. And Jay's going to give you the phone number how you can get your free copy of Until the Prophecy Newsletter. Just give us a call at 8-PROPHECY-8. That's 877-674-3298. It's time right now here on Prophecy Today for us to take a look at the book. On Prophecy Today weekend, we had our broadcast partners come to these microphones with the purpose of reporting current events wherever they may be in this world, and they were scattered all over the world today. As they look at these current events, we can recognize the prophetic scenario that's found in God's Word, which will help us then to recognize how close we may well be to the fulfillment of all of the prophecy with the next event, the rapture of the church, to take place without any prophecy needing to be fulfilled, but it could happen at any moment. By the way, I think it would be key for you to listen to what these broadcast partners reported to us. You can go to my website, prophecytoday.com, go to PTRN, Prophecy Today Radio Network, and there you can hear what they had to say. Some very important, informative information about these things that are happening around the world. And be sure to tell a friend so they can listen and have the same information you have as it relates to how current events are setting the stage for these prophecies to be fulfilled. Let me remind you of the description of Jesus Christ that is found in Revelation chapter 1. Remember, it says, he says, in fact, I am the Alpha and Omega. Now, that would be the first letter of the Greek alphabet and the last letter of the Greek alphabet. That means that Jesus Christ is the beginning and the end. And that helps us to understand his involvement in creation and the end times. We must take the record of creation absolutely literally. When I talked with Dr. Don DeYoung, a scientist and an astronomer, he helped us to understand our report with him, of course, was on the largest dinosaur that has ever been found on the earth and found in the area of Argentina. Quite an interesting fact to me as as I understand the dinosaurs, but it was a report that helped us to conclude that indeed we need to take creation, that account, that record, right there in Genesis 1 as absolutely literal. You know what the Bible says in Colossians 1.16? By him, by Jesus Christ, were all things created. And the book of Exodus, chapter 20 and verse 11, that's the record of the giving of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20.11 says that Jesus Christ speaking to Moses, by the way, he was the one that stood face to face with him. He said, I created the heavens, the earth, and all that in them is in six days. And when you go back to the record of creation, chapter 1, you have to recognize the fact that he did this in 24-hour days, six of them. Every time you see the word yom, day in Hebrew, with a numerical adjective, any place in the word of God, it's talking about a 24-hour day. Remember what it said, the night and the day, the first day, the night and the day, the second day, etc., etc. That's why we believe in six 24-hour days, some 6,000 years ago, Jesus Christ created the heavens and the earth and all that is in them. That makes him the Alpha 
But indeed, if you take creation as literal, that gives you the permission to take eschatology as literal as well. Eschatology, the study of end-time events. Prophetically, we must interpret God's Word literally as well. Not only is Jesus the Alpha, He is the Omega. And that's what we find in Revelation chapter 1. But in chapter 19 and verse 10, it says that Jesus is the spirit of prophecy, the centrality, the focus of Bible prophecy. And so as we look at current events on this broadcast, we can see that Jesus quickly moving into that position to be the omega as it relates to the beginning and the end. For example, when we talked to Ken Timmerman, we were talking about Russia building a military base at Israel's northern border within five miles of the northern border of Israel there in the Golan Heights. Russia, a major player in Bible prophecy, Ezekiel chapter 38 and verse 2. Magog is Russia, and who they have joining with them play a part in that end-time alignment of nations as well. You have Syria there, that's where they're located, and you also have Iran and Hezbollah. They're both Iranian elements of all that is going to hate the Jewish people enough to try to wipe them off the face of the earth. And as we speak on this broadcast, they're at Israel's northern border. We talk with David Dolan, the Middle East News Update. He brought to our attention that the Israeli Defense Force is on high alert as it relates to the situation in North Korea. We've got to remember, North Korea came in and was building that chemical plant that would produce chemical weapons of mass destruction. The Israeli Defense Force went in and took out that factory. You've got to remember also the alliance between North Korea and Iran. That's their second most important partner in everything they're doing. They exchange technology and technicians as it relates to their development of a nuclear weapon of mass destruction. And how can we forget what President George W. Bush called all of this? He said, this is the axis of evil. You know who he is talking about? North Korea, Iran, and Syria. Very, very important information. Brought Colonel Bob McGinnis from the Pentagon to the table to help us recognize the threat, the possibility that North Korea may attack the United States. And I asked Bob if indeed that the United States was to cave in as it relates to North Korea, what would happen? He reminded me the Iranians were watching what was going on. So if they see the United States cave to North Korea, then they can take advantage of that and start making their moves to go against the Jewish state of Israel. That is key in our thinking about North Korea. Dr. Rob Congdon talked, meanwhile, about what's going on in the European Union as they continue to be the infrastructure preparation for the revived Roman Empire. And David James brought to our attention Revelation chapter 17 with Catholicism, that mother-son cult that is headquartered in Rome, Italy. Now, all of these events that we've talked about and had conversations focusing on these events with our broadcast partners seem to be setting the stage for the Bible prophecy scenario found in God's Word to be fulfilled, and I'd have to say be fulfilled in the very near future. You know what that means? The rapture, which is next and has to have no prophecy fulfilled before the rapture, could happen in the next moment, even before the broadcast is over. I'm praying that it will happen as soon as possible. 
And with that statement in mind, what else is there for me to say except let's keep looking up until... Thank you so much for joining us today. This is Jay Johnson inviting you to join us again next week for more of Prophecy Today.